Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. Welcome in to the BSN Broncos Draft Podcast. We're going to talk about everything from, uh, you know, athletic builds to ball skills. And and on we go, and down the line from there, right? Fill in all the blanks in between, yes. Jeffrey Simmons, a guy that I really like. But he's just a marvelous interior penetrator. Special, special, special kid. What an abundance of choice you have with these interior defensive linemen in this class. Kyler Murray, as long as he gets to draft day healthy, he will make more money. He's been asked the question. He's had multiple opportunities to say, I signed with the A's. I'm going to honor my commitment there. This isn't even a conversation. He hasn't done it. That's all he has to say. And maybe after the Bama game, it's like, geez, he's not just a first rounder. He's a top 10 pick. Frankly, I would take him ahead of Herbert right now. And I think it'd be a toss-up with Pascal, 100%. And now, here's your hosts, Andre Simone and AJ Hayfully. Welcome to the BSN Broncos Draft Podcast. I am your host, Andre Simone, and we want to remind you that the podcast is presented by Elixinol. If Jake Plummer has endorsed Elixinol's hemp, balm and provide and it provides him and his family with endless benefits of cbd then you should too this is a non-thc product and five percent of your purchase goes to a non-profit of your choice visit elixinal.com to get yours today all right let's get rolling on the pod excited to do this it was nice to have a, a week break after doing so much uh, with uh, with Zach last week and then being on every pod during Senior Bowl week. Nice to take a little, a brief break from talking to you guys daily, uh, digesting some film, digesting some draft rankings and what have you, and getting to you with some fresh takes. So I'm excited to jump into that. And on that note, I'm going to start by plugging two draft pieces we published on the website uh, this week that I wrote. Um, Definitely check it out. If you're not a subscriber, you definitely should subscribe to bsndenver.com where we try our best to dominate the offseason, not just with our draft coverage, but with our film rooms and, uh, you know, analyzing every move in free agency and all that kind of stuff. One piece I wrote is uh, recapping, you know, analyzing if Drew Locke is really a top 10 type of pick worthy after having seen him at the senior bowl and wrapping up some other thoughts on Daniel Jones, Will Greer, Gardner Minshew, Ryan Finley, all the other guys I saw at the senior bowl. So check that out. And then the other piece I wrote is entitled teammates offer insights on the biggest names in the 2019 NFL draft. It's all kind of a compilation of different, uh, 
pieces of intel and great quotes I was able to get at the Senior Bowl from guys who were in Mobile who are talking about some of the top prospects who weren't there. And I wanted to share a few quotes from that without giving away the piece. Terry McLaurin, one of the best interviews and definitely one of the best receivers that we saw down there in Alabama, had some great quotes about Haskins and the other quarterbacks that he played with on his North team, of course, of noteworthy because uh, on his team were Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, two other potential first-round contenders. On Haskins, he said, he's a very elite passer. He can make all the throws. He's a competitor, and he's also really grown as a leader. I used to always kind of get irritated with people when they said, well, how are his throws? I mean, his throws are always going to be great, but at that position where he's going into being a top-ten pick, he needs to be a great leader. The maturation that he had from the TCU game, where it was kind of unsure when we struggled on offense, to the team up north and the Maryland game where we were in some dogfights. He was taking over our offense and I was deferring to him, which is noteworthy because McLaurin was a two-time team captain. That's what you want to see out of your quarterback, he added. So I thought that was really um, interesting. And, you know, leadership is a quality that in quarterbacks is very essential. We've talked about how that's something that's changed in the Broncos' strategy and I think you could really, if if you're looking at the top quarterbacks, leadership is a big plus for Drew Locke, who was a four-year starter, two-time captain. He talked to us about um, the adversity he went through at Missouri and uh, how that program really shouldn't have recovered so quickly. And yet by his senior year, they were back in the top 25 and playing in a bowl and you know, getting some big wins against some big-time SEC uh, competition like Florida and Kentucky. So that's really interesting. And Haskins, with what McLaurin's telling us, despite being just a one-year starter, really grew in his role as a leader there at Ohio State. And then, you know, in comparing the two quarter, the Drew Locks and Daniel Jones, the quarterbacks he played with at the Senior Bowl with Haskins, he added they're very comparable. Obviously, I have more of that camaraderie with Dwayne, so it's different in that aspect, but all the quarterbacks on my team can make the throws. Drew Locke has a lot of touch on his passes. Interesting, because that's when you write a scouting report on Drew Locke, touch would not be something you put in the positive column, at least not consistently. Consistently, The deep ball that he threw to me was right in stride, and we've really formed a connection. You can find that deep ball. It was from the first day of practice beautiful just a rainbow leading McLaurin perfectly on a deep touchdown it's really the part of Locke's game that separated him from anyone else in Mobile and then he also he added I've gravitated to him always talking about Locke Uh, so I thought that was interesting he he did say I've made some plays with Daniel Jones as well but nothing really all that noteworthy I'd already mentioned that McLaurin also told us how um, he was asked by the Arizona Cardinals, who have the first overall pick, if he personally would draft Nick Bosa. And uh, he said, yes, I would draft Nick Bosa number one overall. And he gave some more insights on Bosa that you can find in the piece. And then um, an interesting quote from Ross Pierschbacher, the four-year starter for Alabama, uh, currently their, their center in his final season, but he played some guard because Ryan Kelly just a you know first rounder has been huge for the Colts offensive line 
um, was there. So he moved to guard and, you know, has a unique distinction of having played in the college football playoffs every single year he started. So all four years and always making it to the final. So this guy has played against, you know, uh, just an unbelievable um, amount of NFL talent, both in practice at Alabama over those four to five years because he did redshirt his first season and just in the SEC and in the playoffs and in general. So if this is a question I try to ask everyone I interview, whether it's at the Senior Bowl Pro Days, what have you, I'll encourage Ryan and Zach to ask guys at the Combine when they're there, who's the best player you've played against? And Ross's answer was really interesting to me because he said Quinnen Williams. And, you know, he kind of laughed and he said, yeah, in practice. Uh, just his get off the type of defense that we play. He's at nose and crowds the ball. Obviously, from his perspective as a center, playing against such a talented nose guard was really hard. As soon as I move the ball, I'm trying to get back, and he's already on my shoulder swimming and doing the hand swiping, so that's tough. And there's a lot more insights from Pierce Bacher on uh, Williams, on comparing him to De'Aaron Payne, who was a first-rounder and top-15 pick last year and had a really nice rookie season with the Washington Redskins. Um, And even more quotes on other players that I won't spoil right here. So just wanted to start that by plugging that piece. Um, And the other piece with wrapping up the quarterbacks, I talked about a decent amount of that in the last show. But, you know, in writing, you're able to get more detailed and um, have your thoughts a little more thought out. So check those out. Subscribe to BSN Denver if you haven't already, because by subscribing, one of the cool things that you can do is, uh, well, comment on the podcast and ask questions that we will gladly answer in every show. And there's no better time right now to subscribe because we are in a competition with the other BSN podcasts. And by simply entering promo code Broncos, you're going to get a deal and you're going to help us win the competition. And there are some prizes included in that. You're going to hear about that all week. Uh, so there's there's a little note for you. Uh, just a, a, one more push towards subscribing to BSN. So Without further ado, we're going to jump into some questions in this first segment. And then segment two, we are going to revisit some questions from last week and how it pertains to some particular players in the trenches that I think Broncos fans should have an eye on. And we are just going to have a jam-packed show and talk about day two strategy for the Broncos since we've talked about a lot of the top prospects. We've talked about a lot of the top hundred or so prospects throughout the season but haven't got into the perfect strategy just yet for Denver. We did that a lot last year. It's time to start that this year too. So really excited for the show, but we're going to jump in with your questions first and foremost. And this first one is coming from Shy Guy. Very nice. Uh, and, you know, spelled C-H-I-Guy. So Chicago Guy, but it's a nice play on words. I, I appreciate that. The Zach and Ryan on the regular show would really enjoy that kind of uh, wordplay right there. Been a fan for a while, but had a pro football focus subscription. I realized I was mostly focusing on the Broncos and decided to switch over. I'm pretty sure I missed I messed with the balance in the universe by doing so because we have 
had a negative 23 degree temperature here in Chicago, and I've had no BSN or podcast since signing on, LOL. So luckily that's back up and and running, and uh, we finally know what the cause for all that bad juju last week was. Okay, so here's my question. I have heard several comparisons between Drew Locke and Jake Hutler. They generally separate the comparisons when it comes to attitude and personality. If my memory serves correctly, that was the biggest knock on Cutler, losing the locker room with an attitude and being a poo-poo in the media. Wouldn't a Jay Cutler in his prime be a top 8-10 to 10 quarterback in this league? And with a better attitude, maybe even a higher ceiling? Thanks again for the awesome podcast, and I'm looking forward to digging into the website more and more, especially when it comes closer to the draft. Jeremy in Chicago. Well, Jeremy, you knocked it out the park. That was a great question. Love to have you on board. And um, yeah, you won't regret it, I promise. No one does it better in draft season than us. I can promise you that much. That's something I take a lot of pride in. Yeah, Drew Locke comparison to Jay Cutler is... uh, it's legit. They're athletic, big guys with big arms. I think Cutler was a, had a bigger arm. Uh, Cutler had, frankly, a pretty rare arm. Uh, and yeah, I think the comparisons do separate when it comes to attitude. Now, you'll be hard-pressed, at least in his first two stops in Denver and Chicago, to find many teammates of Cutler's who uh, were, you know, would would say anything wrong against him. He was a hardcore competitor. Uh, you know, the guy the guy played through injuries. He he wasn't diagnosed yet with uh, oh the autoimmune disease he has and my brother in law has and I'm of course blanking on. But regardless, um, you know, he played through some serious injuries and. Um, you know, I think his career could have gone differently if he doesn't get traded out of Denver and doesn't leave uh, Mike Shanahan, frankly. And even in his one year with Adam Gase as the play caller, he did a pretty darn good job. I just don't think he ever really had uh, the, the the right team around him. Um, and, you know, in the media, yeah, he wasn't great. As of now, Drew Locke is you never know that can change uh millions of dollars will do weird things to people but yeah talent wise i think drew lock is very comparable and that should be seen as a positive comp um to your point of cutler in his prime could have had an even higher ceiling with a better attitude yeah i agree and i think that maybe drew lock isn't that in that rarefied air but he's right there in the same stratosphere, if you will. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good comp. It's a comp I'd get excited about. He's a guy who, coming out of college, was in the SEC, not with a great team, and kind of had to make the best with what he had. Uh, frankly, Drew Locke has done a better job of that than Cutler did at Vandy. And when Cutler was taken just outside the top 10 by the Broncos, I think it was seen as a pick similar to what Drew Locke will be seen as. Like, yes, kind of a risk. Yes, not great value, more of an upside play, but a pick that could pay off in a major way. And, you know, the Broncos did get two firsts out of Jay Cutler. So um, the, the value once Cutler started playing was definitely 
shown to be just fine. So thank you for your question, Jeremy. Uh, hope you enjoy all the content and being a subscriber and hope you have more questions draft-wise for us if that's the kind of content you are interested in. And then I have two questions from our guy, J.D. Fry. Uh, Jared uh, Jared cheated a little. He asked me on Twitter, but he, he's a subscriber, so I'll allow it. Um, first question is, um, there are a fair amount of non-first-round quarterbacks that end up as starters. Not always as high-end starters, but starters nonetheless. Do you see any quarterbacks in this class that have the chance to be the next-gen any that you see that could be better than Haskins or Locke? Thank you. Uh, no, right now, better than Haskins or Locke, I don't see. Uh, but you make a great point. Every year this happens where there's a guy taken after round one and they either turn out into a franchise quarterback the way Russell Wilson or Tom Brady have or they turn into pretty good starters, uh, you know, decent enough starters, like say uh, Case Keenum, who's an even rarer, uh, you know, case because he went undrafted. But I think of Jacoby Bursett is a great example of this. Dak Prescott would fall into that camp. You know, guys who serviceable starters, maybe not franchise quarterbacks, but serviceable starters if given the opportunity. And I think once we get into day two, there are two guys I'm particularly intrigued with. One is Brett Rippon out of Boise State, MVP of the East-West Shrine game. Talked about him some on the last podcast. I think Rippon reminds me a bit of Jacoby Bursett at NC State in how, uh, you know, uh, Bursett's tape was far from perfect, but he had all the talent. He had the arm. He flashed some really nice deep ball accuracy, and sometimes that's all you need is to have those tools and you'll figure out the rest. And then another guy that I see in a similar vein, well, two more guys. One would be Ryan Finley, who comes from NC State. You know, you name it, uh, whether it's Glennon, who didn't quite work out, uh, Phillip Rivers, who, of course, was a different tier prospect entirely, or Russell Wilson, who had some experience at NC State before having to transfer because Glennon kind of took his job, which bad call by the Wolfpack. But regardless, they've had a lot of success with sending guys to the NFL at quarterback specifically. Finley isn't exciting, but boy, he checks off a lot of boxes. I could see him turning into a serviceable starter, a guy who maybe is a little more advanced in and more polished than a lot of the other kids coming into this class. And, you know, maybe he's not a franchise quarterback, but he can be a bridge quarterback. He could be a starter. I'm not the biggest fan of Finley, but I do see some value in him. I think he's got some talent. And, uh, yeah, so, and then Gardner Minshew. Look, Minshew surprised me with how polished he looked coming out of that Mike Leach offense. I've really enjoyed his tape. There was a point in the year where, if you listen to the pods, I was uh, giving some glowing reports about him. Now, just his general talent, uh, raw upside isn't necessarily there. You know, frame, mobility, arm strength, that kind of stuff. It's lacking a little bit. But if this is a spread quarterback who is very accurate, uh, not, you know, not trigger shy, he's happy to let it rip and let it fly and 
unleash his talent. Um, decently cerebral, uh, showing that he can play under center. And what I really liked about Minshew watching him throughout the Pac-12 season was this guy has pretty nice uh, deep ball accuracy. And that's not something that is to me, you know, you want to when you grade the importance of traits, uh, accuracy would be the first one. But that's such a general term. You know, what we're looking for is elite ball placement and deep ball accuracy because being accurate over the short to intermediate that's great uh you want you want guys you know ball placement is the most important and it's it's throwing guys open is really what ball placement is it's knowing to put the ball in the right spot every single time avoiding interceptions avoiding you know throwing guys open that's in the NFL where windows are tight where guys aren't always getting open having that sense of timing and putting the ball in just the right place where just your guy can get it. It's either an incompletion or a nice catch. That's what you want. Uh, You don't want guys who can make easy throws. You want guys who can make tough throws in tight windows. And that's what, that's the, the highest graded trait. The other one, deep ball accuracy. Minshew has that deep ball accuracy, really nice touch to, um, you know, this that Mike Leach offense that, you know, basically is what Kingsbury uh, is got f- his job from being fired at Texas Tech to go into the Arizona Cardinals. It's the offense that Patrick Mahomes played in. It's the offense that Mayfield was uh, playing in and was groomed in early in his career before transferring to Oklahoma where it's another variation of an air raid, though they're more of a power spread type offense. Um, You know, Minshew coming from that system looking so polished, but, you know, you're not seeing a lot of lateral throws, or you do see them, but where he was really at his best was on those vertical throws, attacking downfield, and that's what I like about him. So I wouldn't be surprised if Minshew turned into a lesser version than a Kirk Cousins if developed the right way and in the right situation. And you would have said a lot of the things I've just said about Minshew about Cousins. And then, you know, it's... Non-first round is what Jared's asking for. Uh, So really, I guess in a sense, Jared Stidham would fall into that camp. And I talked about Stidham last week. Uh, Has a lot of talent, not overwhelming talent this isn't like Carson Wentz who you're saying like boy this guy just has out of this world raw tools he's not Patrick Mahomes he's not Josh Allen but he checks off most of the boxes you're looking for in an NFL quarterback and after and assuming he doesn't go in round one I wouldn't be surprised if someone took kind of a flyer on him Um, And again, I talked about his senior bowl performance on the podcast last week. I talk about it in that Drew Locke piece that I was mentioning earlier. You know, I think his senior bowl performance was fine. He reminded us of those natural tools. He didn't, you know, impress me to where he's going to jump way up in my rankings. But he'd be another name to, to, to keep... Keep an eye on, I'll always say, Stidham's best tape was in, if I'm remembering correctly, 2015 in a stretch at Baylor 
where he was thrust into the starting lineup because of injuries to, I believe, Bryce Petty, though, boy, going that far back is hard to remember. And in that more vertical offense, um, you know, that air raid that at the time Art Bryles was still running when Baylor was still a powerhouse, he looked really good. And I will always go back to that tape and say, boy, if Stidham can can get back to that, that's a quarterback that excites me. But look, he had some stretches at, at Auburn, especially in 2017, where he, he looked the part. He's athletic. He can throw it on the run. He's got that placement. He's got enough of an arm to zing it uh, to the sideline or zip it over the middle, uh, test it in more tight windows. You know, his concerns are pressure. How will he adapt to a pro-style system? Will he get more accuracy? Has this last season kind of ruined him and made him a little trigger shy made him, given him happy feet because he was struggling under pressure. Those kind of things are concerning. But those four guys are the main guys I would feature as, yeah, yeah, I could, I wouldn't be completely surprised if in four years uh, you're telling me that those, I ranked those guys too low and they turned into starters and one of them was better than Drew Locke, for example. No, that wouldn't. That wouldn't completely surprise me. Um, I, I, I could see in the right situation where they develop rapidly that occurring. So, yeah, um, there you go. And then finally, with the last question from J.D. Fry, he also asked, does the Kyler, interview, Kyler Murray interview with Dan Patrick affect your thoughts on him about being a franchise quarterback? Thanks. Thank you, Jared. Uh, always a pleasure. Real, real loyalist, uh, real uh, OG of the draft pod. So lots of love for JD or Jared, however you want to call him, Mr. Fry. Uh, I've written, I've tweeted about this, not written. And maybe at some point I'll have to write about it. And actually, I was going to save this for the end of the pod. But it's worth mentioning that Kyler Murray after playing very coy and just giving an odd interview with Dan Patrick. I thought more worrisome was the interview he gave to Mike Florio, um, where basically there are two different interviews where he's just so keen on being noncommittal about, you know, what route is he going to be go, football or baseball, which should be expected if he was going to commit you shouldn't expect him to do it out of the blue on those sets. You should expect the announcement to come out one way or another, as it did today through Adam Schefter, that he'll be attending the combine, which is a huge win for Kyler Murray entering the draft because, of course, the combine occurs right when uh, baseball players are expected to report for camps and stuff. So the fact that he's choosing to enter the combine rather than prolonging his commitment to the Oakland A's, who, of course, drafted him ninth overall in last year's Major League Baseball draft, is huge. It's a huge indication that football could just be the route he's going to go in. I think until he's picked by the team he wants, in the round he wants, the book won't be closed on the controversy of which sport he'll pick, but this is a huge win for the NFL and quarterback-needy teams. Um, in him making the, that announcement. But regardless, a lot of people were turned off with how he handled the interviews. And there's two sides to this. One is 
he 100% should have been more prepared. He should have had just a standard answer on how to handle this and said, look, I'm still keeping my options open. I've made a decision personally, but we're not ready to admit to announce it yet or something along those lines. Instead, I don't think his team prepared him and he played coy and kind of came off as foolish and a little idiotic in, you know, how he dismissed the questions and stayed quiet and just didn't look prepared. And I think this is on his team more than Murray, uh, frankly. And I think that's part of the issue is that right now I've always got the feeling and you can go back to God knows how many episodes back it was, but it's entitled Kyler Murray's decision or something like that, where AJ and I debated all the different aspects, financial and non, that go into Kyler Murray choosing between going the baseball route and going the football route. And what one of the things we touched on was it feels like his camp, where primarily his agent, who's a Scott Boris, the major, like the biggest agent in the world as far as baseball goes. In fact, I probably just got his name wrong and Drew Creaseman, a Rockies writer, will be laughing at me. Uh, and his father, who played, was drafted, played baseball, then after a year uh, decided to play college football, got injured playing college football, never got drafted, never was able to pursue uh, an NFL career. I think they're both leaning towards to just go into go into baseball. The money's guaranteed. Uh, it's a safer sport at your size and all that kind of thing. And I think in some ways, whether purposefully or not, he's being sabotaged a little by his team that aren't helping him in handling these interviews from, let's be honest, I mean, Dan Patrick, not necessarily, Mike Florio for sure, they're football people, and it's they're questions that he's guaranteed to be asked while he's at the Super Bowl, another football event. And I think, you know, another thing we've talked about, anyone questioning Murray's commitment should just stop. I would argue he's more committed than anyone in this NFL draft because he's actually considering turning down millions of dollars, not just the basically $5 million that he gets as a signing bonus for being drafted by the A's, but there was, you know, there were reports out there that the A's and Major League Baseball were willing to change their rules for him and give him a contract of an actual Major League player that would pay him close to $15 million, and that's just to compete with what a first-round rookie contract would be in the NFL. So that alone should tell you this kid is 100% committed to football. He would never even turn down that money. And I was saying this on Twitter to some people who were arguing with me um, about it. And look, it's in his best interest to not commit. At least it was at the Super Bowl. Now he's made a, a smaller step into committing to football because... He's going to the combine, as I said. Um, you know, the fact that he might love another sport more than football, who cares? Uh, for all I know, LeBron James loves football more than he does basketball, but he realized that foot that basketball was going to make him more money, so that's the route he went. Tony Gonzalez 
a Hall of Famer and probably the greatest tight end to ever play in the NFL was playing basketball in college. You could argue that was the sport he loved more. Did that affect him from becoming the greatest player at his position of all time? Allen Iverson, one of the greatest basketball, one of my favorite basketball players of all time, an NBA league MVP, a guy who took the 76ers to the finals when they had no business being, they would have been one of the worst teams in the entire NBA without him. And yet he took him to the final on an MVP season, one of the greatest backcourt scorers in the history of the NBA. Regardless of how you feel about AI, that's not up for debate. Clearly, he loved football more. That was his sport. But for off-field reasons, he wasn't able to pursue all the great football scholarships he had. You can watch the 30 for 30 on that. And so he became a pretty darn good basketball player anyways. Does it really matter? Like, when you're such a great athlete, you might play several sports. And you might love one of those sports more than you love the sport where you're ultimately, because of your size, your skill, your athleticism, you're ultimately better suited to go pro. And that could be the case for a bunch of players in all pro sports. So let's not overthink this whole, oh, well, he's not committed. He doesn't love the sport. He shouldn't. No, 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 no. He's having to make more of a commitment than any of these other guys who don't have millions of dollars already guaranteed for them to to go and play you know if Murray just wanted to play baseball and was fine with that he would have been playing baseball a year ago he wouldn't have been playing at Oklahoma and taking that team to the playoffs and winning the Heisman he would have been in single a or rookie ball getting better at baseball which frankly for a kid who played baseball his junior season and hadn't played it until since high school He needs those extra reps in baseball. So, no, ultimately it doesn't bother me. It's a bad look. Don't overreact, though. It's what the kid has to do is keep his options open because that gives him all the leverage. It gives him the leverage in picking his own team because then he can dangle football as an alternative, and it gives him the leverage in going higher because he can say, look, I want to go to your team, but unless you draft me in round one, Money-wise, it just doesn't make sense for me. I'm going to have to go the baseball route, which, like it or not, that might turn some teams off. That's fine. That's what the kid has to do. That's what's in his best interest. He may love football all he wants, but if he's going to get paid twice as much in the in Major League Baseball than he is in the NFL, them's the breaks. Uh, that's how I'd advise him as my kid. So, no, it doesn't bother me. I think it's a it's a bad media look. I can tell some people in the media are turning on him. Doesn't affect me at all. I don't think it'll affect NFL GMs all that much. So there you go. Now, thanks, Jared. You got me all heated. (laughs) So there you go. Um, We're going to take a quick break for some of our great sponsors, and we will be right back. Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. 
That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. All right, welcome back to the BSN Broncos Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Simone. Segment two, I wanted to revisit two questions that I loved from last week. Um, And actually were questions that I was asked for the draft pods prior to the Senior Bowl. Then, you know, the Senior Bowl became very draft specific, but we thought we'll save these questions for the next draft pod. Um, And, but in fact, they kind of put me in a, on the spot, and I think I answered them, but I've been thinking about them a lot, and there's a few more caveats I want to add, and I'll be using for this second segment. And the real question that I loved was from Sutton14 Thomas87, who asked if we could talk about um, how you evaluate positional value in concrete terms, especially in terms of a ratio, if possible. Uh, for example, as a hypothetical, a quarterback is twice as valuable as an edge rusher, and an edge rusher is three times as valuable as a guard. I assume a lot of this is based on the discount achieved from the rookie contract. Achieved from the... Re- I think he means after the rookie contract. Looking for a general rule, not an iron law. What is the impact scheme or... Scheme or positional value generally. Um, So yeah, I've been thinking about, you know, scheme um, and uh, fit, which is what we'd talk about in the NFL, is how, how, you know, the fit on a particular team certainly matters for a certain system. We've talked about that already with cornerback maybe having less of an importance in Beck Fangio's defense than an inside linebacker would because of how he likes to play more zone coverage. And he needs linebackers that cover a lot of ground, but he doesn't necessarily need elite number one cornerbacks. And I also touched on last week how beyond just positional value, it gets into traits. And are you, do you have the upside to profile as an elite player at your position? Let's say you have great pass rushing skills and as an interior defensive lineman, that's going to be that's going to up your value a lot. Are you do you have great length and profile as a high end pass protecting left tackle? That's going to have more value than a right tackle who might have much cleaner tape, much might be a much safer pick, but he's just a right tackle or might profile more as a guard. Uh, so that really comes into play. And with that, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, the positional value as it relates to three positions of need for the Broncos, cornerbacks, offensive line, and inside linebacker. And, you know, 
talking fit as well in Fanjo's defense, which is still a 3-4, but we talked about more zone, um, and Rich Scangarello's offense, which, again, you can go to the site, find my film rooms on those two, and, uh, you know, look at what kind of offense and defense the Broncos will be playing next year schematically. Uh, and really, the positional value of cornerback is decreased significantly, uh, while inside linebackers is increased a bunch. Uh, the thing is, at 10, you can only find one off-ball linebacker that fits that profile. It's Devin White. And when you look at cornerback and especially fit in a zone-heavy defense where you're going to see less press man like what we saw under Wade Phillips and Joe Woods and those guys, um, you know, you Greedy Williams would have been an obvious selection if that was still the defense you're playing. Now that you're looking to play more zone, well, Greedy fits less in his instincts and ability to uh, help against the run I think, play as heavier factors against him. And again, this kind of it somewhat goes against what I was just saying in Greedy Williams is the perfect example of not a perfect prospect at his position, but he has all those raw tools and profiles to be that rare player at his position, a.k.a. a number one man cornerback who can lock down the other team's best wide receiver week in and week out, and that is at a higher premium than anything else at cornerback. The perfect fit for the Broncos' defense would be a guy like Byron Murphy, who doesn't fit in a press man scheme. Uh, Size concerns are there, uh, but would be great in zone. He's so quick, instinctual, would really do a good job of playing in zones and jumping on the ball, being a ball hawk that way. Uh, But Murphy at 10 would be kind of a tricky pick because, again, value comes into play, and he doesn't have some of those elite traits that you would want in a top 10 pick at his position. Uh, And so and linebacker is interesting because as much as Fangio, this is a crucial position for Fanjo's defense. I've said it time and time again, you don't need to draft an off-ball linebacker high like the Bears did Roquan Smith for him last year to get someone that's suitable for his defense. And that's because undersized guys can work in his defense. Guys that are going to be valued less can fit in that defense. They just need to be athletic, and you can find some late-round gems. Terrell Hanks out of New Mexico State, a guy that we talked about a ton at the Senior Bowl and mentioned in the last draft pod, certainly fits that mold. He might even be available in day three, depending on how you know draft season treats him. He certainly helped himself in Mobile. Let's see if that momentum continues. Bobby Okereke, a guy from Stanford I've talked up, all season long. Would have liked to see him flash a little more at the Senior Bowl. I'm actually meant to go back and rewatch some of that tape uh, from the practice and stuff because, you know, you're focusing on so many different things and they've got, you know, this side of the field's doing one thing, the other side of the field's doing another. You'll miss stuff. So I'm looking forward to going back to Bobby Okereke's tape 
for sure. But he's an athletic guy. We'll see how he tests at the combine. In fact, inside linebacker will be a huge position to watch at the combine because if there's an undersized guy that's running well and when you watch the tape, you say, boy, this guy, he's rangy, covers a lot. Uh, he's pretty good in coverage. Well, that would be perfect for the Broncos' new defense under Vic Fangio. Bobby Okereke, though, another great fit. Kendall Joseph at Clemson. Personally, I'm not sure he's even the best Clemson off-ball linebacker in this draft. That'd be Trey Lamar. And had he declared, uh, Simmons would have been higher ranked than any of those guys. But Kendall Joseph, undersized, would fit really nicely. Another guy who'd fit, Devin Bush, who's all over for people. Some people have him in the mid-first round. Other people have him in the mid-second round. Devin Bush, though, compares to a guy like Deion Jordan. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> Deion Jones, uh, the linebacker former from LSU who went to the Atlanta Falcons. Undersized, yes, covers a lot of ground, and that's just what you like to see. So that was something I wanted to clarify a little more on value, positional fit, and what have you. Now I teased I wanted to talk about offensive line. Another question I got last week was about uh, could you kind of rank the top three cornerbacks and what what traits separate them, what traits make them different. So I want to focus on this group who's kind of become the top four offensive linemen in this draft, and they're all offensive tackles, though maybe they don't all project at offensive tackle in the long term. So using the, the discussion we just had on value and fit specifically to, to kind of frame the traits on these top offensive tackles in this draft. It starts with Jonah Williams who's the only guy in this group who, in my humble opinion, would be worth a top 10 pick or the 10th pick by the Broncos, even though I tell you, I wouldn't be, like, ecstatic. I wouldn't be jumping off the rooftops if, if they drafted Jonah Williams at 10. I think they could do better, frankly. Um, but, you know, he's very complete and efficient. I talk about checking off all the boxes, a lot when evaluating players. He certainly does that. I think um, the thing is he's kind of, uh, you know, a jack of all trades, but maybe a master of none, which is when you want to pound the table on a guy and see if he has that elite uh, skill set to p potentially become an elite player at his position, he's kind of lacking that. And, you know, he's played both both tackles positions phenomenally. He's been one of the best offensive linemen, certainly the best offensive tackle in all of college football the last two years, I'd argue, uh, which is no small feat at Alabama where he's going up against premier competition, came out of the Clemson game holding his own and doing a pretty good job. Um, you know, the only tape where I really didn't love him was against LSU in 2017 where Arden Key, the day two pick from the Raiders, who uh, going into that season was seen as a surefire top five, but then really dropped off because of injuries, off-field concerns, effort level, and so on and so forth. Key, who's fairly light for his position, 
really kind of overpowered him and gave him trouble, especially run blocking. Um, But aside from that, his tape could not be cleaner. I mean, from his freshman year where he was starting as a right tackle to his last two years as a left tackle, his tape is super clean. But when you analyze those traits, you do wonder, is he stout enough? Lots of people have kind of been down on him lately as draft seasons kind of heated up and talked about his length being lacking. And the combine will be huge for him. He's listed at 6'5", you know, 300 right in that range um and you know is he athletic enough because he's he's not going to overwhelm you with athleticism he's not going to be a guy who say Cody Ford the next guy I'm going to talk about when coming downhill and on a pull or when put out to block in space on a screen is just going to jump out on you and be like oh my gosh this guy moves so well He's not going to do that. And that's where, you know, there'll be some questions for him as far as being an elite athlete as his position. And when you're trying to think, where will he be in four to five years? So even though, yes, I think he profiles as a left tackle, those lacks of that lack of elite traits does decrease his value a little. And these are kind of the subtle nuances where it goes beyond position. It goes into traits And how do you profile and do those traits allow you to profile as an elite player at your position, regardless of if that position is, you know, at the tippy top of the the list or one of the least valuable positions. Um, And Cody Ford. And, you know, the other thing people will say about Jonah Williams, is he the nastiest? Is he, you know... A road grader. Uh, and you, you probably wouldn't say that. Cody Ford certainly is. And he has great feet for his size. I mean, he's in that 335 to 350 range is what he played out. The Oklahoma right tackle. And boy, his feet are pretty insane for his for his size. He's just a phenomenal athlete. Um, and when he goes downhill you know, screens or what have you, pull blocks. And he was doing a ton of that at Oklahoma. Their scheme's so, so fun to watch in the trenches because those offensive linemen are moving left and right. And this guy's pulling and that guy's pulling. And they're just manipulating running lanes. A running lane that wasn't there all of a sudden is, you thought that was the C gap, that becomes the B gap. And the C gap is like where the tight end should be. And it's just a complete, you know, mind melt for defenses to account for, but length is an issue. He's listed at 6'4". I wouldn't be surprised if he's listed, um, if he actually turns out being a little shorter than 6'4". He doesn't carry his weight great in his lower half. I mean, you look at his hips and thighs, they're kind of sloppy. There's some unnecessary fat there, and his feet are great, I don't know if he's the smoothest, if he has the smoothest hips. And, you know, in in pass protection, that'll be a question when he's going against elite bendy athletes. Think of him at the Broncos. You know, he'd have to go against D Ford, who rushes from that right side. He'd have to go against um, Joey Bosa, who, again, not the bendiest, but has great length. And against Alabama, he did allow a sack where Anthony Jennings, Guy from Alabama, I'm very high in, but is staying in school. Great length, 
gets to him because he gets his hands on him and gets by him. Now, the bendy, like smaller uh, D4 type guys seem to give him less trouble just because he's, he, you know, he takes on contact. He's a guy who's going to be a tone setter, even in pass protection. He's not waiting for you to make the first move. He's going to, as soon as you're within reach, he's going get, to get to you and make things happen. Um, but, you know, the big question is, can he stick at tackle? As a guard, he might be higher graded for me than Quentin Nelson was. As a tackle, I don't know. And, yes, the Broncos need a right tackle, right? So we get into fit. But they run a zone scheme. He's definitely better suited for a power scheme. Though, again, he moves well. He moves well. And when when put when put in space, that's actually where he does some of his best work. But in pass protection... Can he fit? Would he be a worthwhile pick at right tackle when that's really, that's at best, if he does stick at tackle, he's a right tackle. He'll never be good enough to be a left tackle, in my humble opinion. Jawan Taylor out of Florida. We talked about Cody Ford's hips not being great. Jawan Taylor's hips are unbelievable. And why are hips important for an offensive lineman? They're incredibly important in absorbing contact taking on contact, being able to switch directions, um, you know, and he's great in annihilating interior moves, and that's where those hips show up as well. I think it was John Ledyard um, of the Draft Network who who said on Twitter, Jawan Taylor is where inside moves go to die, um, and it's, geez, it's kind of true. Um, you know, the thing about Jawan Taylor, and he's a right tackle, he did play left tackle, at Florida last year and looked awful. He just looks so sloppy. And he's cleaned all that up. His feet look so smooth. Uh, you know, he's a guy who will finish finish off runs just like Ford. Creates great push in the running game. Uh, you know, can be put in motion and uh, put out on the move on pulls and what have you. And does a great job. Uh, plus level um, run blocker without a doubt. But the concern is he played so poorly at left tackle, even though I think he has the natural traits to where he could translate at left tackle. Now, weight's been an issue with him. He was able to to lower his weight this this season, and that helped him a lot. If he can stay at weight, you think, oh, maybe it'd be worth trying at left tackle. But after 2017 being such a disaster, do you even want to put him through that again? Um, I mean, that's a legitimate question for me. And it seems like he's so good at countering those inside moves. It's almost like his kick slide on outside moves can be a bit telegraphed. Like you just can tell him thinking like, get out wide as much as you can so they don't beat you outside because I know I can handle them if they try to counter me back inside. And that's, you know, in the NFL, when you're against grown men who are technicians and get paid millions of dollars to do this and are, you know, they're supporting their families and you're going against, you know, future pro bowlers and all pros and Hall of Famers, it, it gets a lot trickier than that. And the other thing about Juwan Taylor that you see on tape from last year is Dan Mullen and that staff at Florida did such a great job and they were new coaches at Florida. So, this is part of why he had more success in 2018 to 2017. They did such a good job because they didn't have a good quarterback of never putting themselves in a position where they're in obvious passing downs, 
where they're never in a position where they have to throw the ball. They're trying to throw it off play action. They're trying to throw it, you know, where they're they're avoiding long down and distance. And this is what I was saying about Notre Dame a year ago, and it's part of the reason where I wasn't the highest on Quentin Nelson or Mike McGlinchey. Um, and if anyone has something to say to me about Quentin Nelson and I was wrong, I have plenty of thoughts on that. So just throwing that out there. Um, so I do wonder, in the modern NFL, when you're down 14 points and you need to make a comeback, and you know you're going to have to sling it all over the field. Can he handle that? Can he handle a game where he has to pass protect 50 times? And the the Broncos have done that. There have been games, even last year, where they tried their best to avoid this, where Case Keenum dropped back and threw the ball 50 times. That's not an exaggeration. Um, And I worry about Jawan Taylor's ability to handle that type of a game plan. Finally, Yadin Kajust, a personal favorite, the West Virginia left tackle. Um, He's got the best pure tools. He's a classic dancing bear with length, agile feet. He comes in this air raid offense. And I wonder, is he nasty enough? You know, I talked about Cody Ford, and you could say this about Jawan Taylor. Good hands. Um, Well, Taylor, he can work on that some. But Cody Ford, for sure, you know, when guys are coming at him, He'll be good about initiating contact. Kajus, not so much. He's just using his feet and trying to shadow box guys and keep them at bay that way. Um, you know, so handwork, initial punch need to be better. And you'd like to see him, you know, just be an aggressor more often. But he's got all the natural tools. I think the upside, without a doubt, in reading these um, descriptions is the highest of all. And definitely profiles as the best pass protector and the guy who uh, has the pure skills to profile as a left tackle. And you could say this about Greg Little, who we'll get into at some other time. Um, But that kind of, there you go. That's analyzing some of the traits like we did the cornerbacks last week and trying to put them in the frame of not just positional value, but beyond positional value, who can be, who profiles to be elite at their position. And look, the right tackles, you could argue, are better than the left tackles. The Fords, the Juwan Taylors, are better than the Jonah Williamses or the Kajus. But the left tackles present more value and upside. And we will see if Jonah falls into the left tackle camp with the Kajus, the Andre Dillards, the Greg Littles, who have that upside. But you watch their tape. They keep you wanting more. You, you get a little upset. Or will Jonah be more of a guy who the NFL sees as a top-end right tackle who could kick in at guard and be an elite guard? We will see. The combine will be big for that. Well, that segment went a little longer than I wanted, but I think we got some 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 good stuff on there. So we're going to take another quick break, our final break, before the third and final segment where we're going to talk about the Broncos' day two strategy and look at some options with that. So don't miss out. We'll be right back with the BSM Broncos Draft Podcast. When it comes to insurance, sometimes you never really realize how important it can be until you actually need it. Well, here at BSN Denver, we recommend Farmers Agent Bryce Babcock to all of our listeners as one of the most trusted and reliable agents in the metro area. If I was a customer looking for a new agency, I would recommend Bryce because his agency hands down is the fastest people I've ever dealt with to get information back to you. 
That was David. He's been a client of Bryce's for over three years now. I used to have my homeowner's insurance with another farmer's agency that never really followed up, never followed up on the price. My price was actually dropped by almost 20 to 30 percent switching over to Bryce, even with the same company. And like I said, his follow-up is awesome. He guarantees you at least a one-time-a-year follow-up that he will sit back and review your file with you. Like David mentioned, Bryce guarantees that type of communication because he understands how important it is to be relatable and accessible. He's a great person not only be your agent, but he's a great person to be your friend as well. If you're interested in making the switch to Bryce Babcock for your life, home, business, or auto insurance, be sure to call 303-996-6509 and mention BSN. And welcome back to the BSM Broncos Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Simone, flying solo today. All right, well, day two strategy. Who should the Broncos target in round two with pick 41? And just lightly get into if they pick this guy at round in round two, what does round three at pick 72 look like? Um, I think for starters, the best strategy, and this... I just want to say the strategy here assumes that the Broncos get it right and get a quarterback with the 10th overall pick or maybe trade up and trade future assets or maybe even a second round pick. So then this discussion becomes uh, less meaningful because they won't have pick 41. But let's assume they get their quarterback at 10 or with a move up that costs them a future first uh 2019 first round, uh, 2020 first rounder, but nothing else. Then I think the best case scenario is in this loaded interior defensive lineman class where you might be losing Dama Tepeco. Who knows what will happen with Derek Wolf? I'm still a believer that guys like Shelby Harris, Shelby has to be re signed, by the way. Zach Kerr can be decent enough contributors. I've lost any faith in DeMarcus Walker. I really never had faith, but any faith or hope that I might have had, I think, went by the wayside last season. And I thought Gotsis really came on. You can check our stats um, on BSN Denver, and you can see that his the grades we gave him, the his DPR score, which is our proprietary metric, like a quarterback rating for interior defensive linemen, and most of his pressures and run stuffs and stuff like that, they all came in the second half of the season. He really started to come along later in the year. He's always been a raw prospect. I hope, just like some people hope with Bulls, um, who could have factored into our discussion earlier on how you know left tackle or right tackle, does a right tackle then matter more to you because you feel like you do have your left tackle, even though you're not certain you have your left tackle. Um, but regardless, you don't have any clear-cut answers on the defensive line. You have some intriguing pieces, depending on how free agency and cuts shake out. You might even have some depth that you feel good about. But really, you don't have that stud in the middle. And I think it's it just doesn't it didn't get talked about enough then. It doesn't get talked about enough now. But really, the strength of the Broncos' defense was that pass rush in Super Bowl 50. And it wasn't just Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware. It was the ability to bring four rushers at a time, say in the AFC Championship, in a nickel-type look so the nose tackle isn't there. It was just Wolf and Malik Jackson on the line. 
uh, Ware and Von Miller outside and creating a ton of pressure that way. And if you can get back to that, to me, replacing Malik Jackson in this defense and a healthy Derek Wolf in his prime during that season, to me, regardless of the scheme we're in right now, I think that's more important in getting the defense back to that Super Bowl 50 form than replacing Aqib Tlaib or getting Bradley Roby back to the his form from that year. That's where the defense was made. That's what's been lacking. And not only could those guys create pass rush, but with two guys on the line, they were devastating run defenders as well. Um, so I think if you could address the interior defensive line in this class, and who knows, you might be able to find linebackers in free agency. There will be some decent options on the offensive line in free agency. There'll be some decent options at other positions of need, including cornerback with guys who could fit, including safety. Interior defensive line, eesh. This Grady Jarrett, who's phenomenal in Atlanta and would be a great uh, interior penetrator. He's a bit one-dimensional. He's a bit of an up-and-down player, and he might get overpaid, and I'm not sure he's a great fit in a 3-4. So, you know, that hurts him a little bit. So why not go the draft route? You already have your quarterback. This class is so deep. I've said it time and time again. All these guys won't go in the first round. Well, then just wait for one to drop in your lap at 41, like, say, a Draymond Jones out of Ohio State, who I see people very low on, and I'm surprised because Draymond Jones, to me, has top 10 type upside and I can understand how yeah he's never quite fulfilled that upside that happens for college kids sometimes that just happens and then they break out in the NFL and they look like great value Draymond Jones would be amazing because he has phenomenal upside not just as an interior penetrator but as being a good run defender too Uh, he could develop into a beast Christian Wilkins out of Clemson I think he'll go in the first round but you never know. This is a very good college player. He's got some wiggle to him. Came along in the second half of the season. Jerry Tillery. Jerry Tillery is just getting slept on out of Notre Dame. This kid has so much talent uh, getting up field and creating penetration, being an interior pass rusher, and was really talented against the run too. Um, any of those guys drop, you have to pick them. Zach Allen out of Boston College, he was playing defensive end most of the time. I talked about how he didn't impress me at the Senior Bowl. He left me wanting more. But I think if you move him in a little closer, then then you've got something. Then he could be a better version of Gotsis, a more versatile, um, already NFL-ready, better run defender, and, you know, with a little grooming from some really good defensive line coaches that we have in Denver, uh, then you could have something special in Zach Allen if he drops. Same could be said about Gerald Willis out of Miami. And, you know, Dexter Lawrence, nose tackle out of Clemson. He could drop. He needs to be better. Adrian and I have talked about him. You know, is he stout enough? Uh, he used to be, in the preseason, we were ranking him as a top 10 player. He's certainly not that if we're talking about him as an option at 41. I don't know that he can be a three-down player. I think he has that upside because the athleticism is obvious for a nose tackle of his side when he's in pursuit. It's not so obvious as a pass rusher. Can he use that athleticism as a pass rusher? We'll see. But I think with the right coaching and the right scheme and the right situation, yeah, he might be. So that is 
who I would target first and foremost. We talked about the O-line. Look, all those guys we talked about in the last segment, probably more options at 10 or in a trade-down scenario from from the 10th overall pick in the first round to really being guys that'll be available in round two. Well, round two, you'll have some phenomenal options, my favorite of which would be center Garrett Bradbury out of NC State. I think Bradbury in a zone scheme, which, ooh, surprise, surprise, that's what Rich Scangarello likes to run, could work as a guard. But as a center, get out of here. This kid is a freak, an athletic freak. The amount of ground he can cover... In the zone blocking, you want, especially with your interior guys, you want a guy who can cover a lot of ground east and west, who can reach a, a, a defensive tackle playing as a three technique. Um, so, you know, on the on the other, right over guard, for example. Um, so you got to cover a lot of ground. Bradbury has that. He'd be ideal in this type of scheme. And if Paradis is lost... Um, you know, I wouldn't advocate for going for a center as a top priority when we get into the discussion of positional value. Center wouldn't be high on my list. Um, and if you let Paradis go, maybe you like Connor McGovern at center. But if Bradbury's there, he's James Daniels-esque, the center out of Iowa who I was just in love with and went to the Bears and was starting last year as a guard. Um, so he'd be a phenomenal option if you lose Jared Valdir, David Edwards would be really intriguing. The right tackle out of Wisconsin. He reminds me a lot of Valdir because he's got size for days. Um, and in a sense, he reminds me of um, Rams right tackle Rob Haverstein, who I wasn't very high on. I thought he was too stiff. I thought he didn't have it. Um, he's another Wisconsin kid. Uh, but you know what? He's making it work in that scheme for the Rams. And in a similar way, in a similar scheme, I think Edwards can make it work too. And he's got a ton of experience run blocking, which you like um, in Denver with our running game. Dalton Rizzler, the Colorado kid who he had a great feature story on, um, would fit in that same vein. As a right tackle, he has the length. He confirmed he has the length. He's a technician. He's got some nastiness to him athleticism is more my concern. But the nice thing of Risner is if he doesn't work out at right tackle, he'll be phenomenal inside. I mean, phenomenal. You'll get yourself a high-end guard or center, and he did play center as a freshman, so he has uh, experience. Andre Dillard, there's no telling where the Washington State left tackle who left me wanting for more at the Senior Bowl will go uh, because back to the, the discussion on traits and how it relates to positional value, Dillard... You know, he has those high-end traits that could push him into round one, but the tape leaves you wanting. Um, when I interviewed him, he seemed a little shy and reserved, and maybe the spotlight was a little big, and the spotlight's too big for, you know, five, eight guys interviewing you at Mobile, Alabama. It's going to get a lot bigger in Denver, Colorado, if you're a, a high-round pick. Um, but if he were around at pick 41, boy, that'd be nice value. And it would also give you some insurance in case Bowles doesn't work out. And it'll allow you to play Bowles at right tackle, play Dillard at left tackle. It'd give you a nice pair of bookends there. And then, you know, tight end. Tight end could factor into this discussion. 
it'll be interesting to see how the Broncos feel about their young tight ends who sadly have had just too many injuries. This is a really nice tight end class that's grown on me a bunch. Um, Irv Smith Jr. of Alabama and TJ Hawkinson of Iowa are the top two guys. I don't think they'd be around by pick 41. I don't think Noah Fant, the other Iowa tight end, would be around. Caden Smith out of Stanford, though, could be. This guy's going to be a great contested ball receiver. Needs to work on his blocking, but has enough experience um, and would really be a great weapon, you know, on clutch downs. This guy is great at boxing defenders out and high-pointing the ball. That's his strength. And he could be a really nice safety blanket for the rookie quarterback you have or Case Keenum, and could be a unique weapon. And I think he'd complement Troy Fumagalli nicely. I think he'd complement Jake Butt nicely, and maybe even Jeff Hireman. Um, And, you know, if you did go in the trenches, either offensive or defensive line in round two, there's enough depth in this tight end class to go after a tight end like Jay Sternberg out of Texas A&M, who's a really promising receiver, nice size. Um, The same could be said about Caleb Wilson, who I was a bit disappointed, got a late invite to the Senior Bowl, didn't see the type of phenomenal receiver that I saw on tape the last two years at UCLA, but his production's undeniable, I think, in the right hands. Uh, Yeah, he could become a George Kittle-type receiving tight end with the Broncos. So there's some round two options for you. Wide receiver is a class that I don't think we're talking about enough. We talked about inside linebacker and the options you'd have in the later rounds. Uh, so go back to listen to that if you're looking for some uh, wide re- uh, some inside linebacker options in day two. Wide receiver, Debo Samuel. We'll see how the combine goes. The South Carolina receiver was a stud at the Senior Bowl. Might just not be available by round by round two anymore. He might just be that good. If he were available, whew, sign me up. Perfect compliment to a guy like Sutton or even a guy like Deshaun Hamilton um, because he's got that athleticism but also physicality, good running after the catch, really nice hands uh, catching the ball away from his body. Um, just, boy, what a special wide out. And this wideout class is deep. I wonder where Riley Ridley of Georgia will go. He's got size. Uh, Calvin Ridley's brother um, just never put up the greatest production at Georgia just because, but he's a phenomenal route runner and would be just what the Broncos need. If he dropped around 41, would it be my favorite pick? But I'd consider him. And then we've talked about some of this wide receiver class in Mobile and in our recaps. Terry McLaurin would be amazing. 71 might be a little too rich, but boy, to get a guy who's a leader, uh, great special teamer, something he prides himself in, and has that kind of speed, that ability to separate. And I told you in the last pod that the Broncos like him or were impressed by his interview from what he told me. Uh, He'd be a nice round three option. Emmanuel Hall, Drew Locke's teammate, would be nice. He had some injuries this year, uh, but talented, talented wide receiver uh, who can create separation vertically and bring some of that speed the Broncos are needing. We talked about Andy Isabella, perfect slot wide receiver. 
Um, if nothing else, you just snatch him away from the Patriots, who might want him and would be he'd be a perfect fit for the Patriots. Um, Penny Hart out of Georgia State, he'd be even later. I mean, Isabella with 71 would be too rich. The early fourth round would be about as early as I'd consider it. So there's some options. That's kind of some strategy. I think if you could go quarterback and in the trenches and address some of the other needs like uh, linebacker and cornerback in the in free agency and who knows, maybe add a wide receiver, add a veteran tight end in, in free agency, then you could really be set up to upgrade your team significantly in the draft with some picks like that. And then finally, um, we talked about the news for Kyler Murray going to the Combine. That's huge. Uh, Todd McShay's mock came out. You'll be listening to this on Friday. I'm recording this on a Thursday, and it came out today. Uh, Since we did some quick mock talk last week and everyone was giving the Broncos Drew Locke, I thought it was interesting that McShay, with Locke and Kyler Murray still on the board, Gave him DeAndre Baker, of course, a cornerback that we broke down last week. Uh, Baker, I think, would fit that Fanjo defense because he's feisty. He can come downhill. He's got good instincts. Um, you know, he's he's just got some good physicality for his size. He could give wide receivers problems, and then he's not worried about matching up one-on-one, and you're not worried about the athletic traits as much. So it'd really be a perfect situation. Gosh, 10th overall, though, for a cornerback that I have ranked as boop, 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 my 18th best prospect in this class, I'd, I'd find hard to stomach. I would rather they go Deontay Thompson if they're going with the defensive back at that point, The um, just a super toolsy safety out of Alabama who I think would be kind of what the Broncos have been missing at that safety position because Justin Simmons can can cover well. Um, Will Parks is very versatile. But neither of those guys give me confidence after seeing them the last three years now that they can be that deep high safety. Which again, in Fanjo's defense, you need less, but you do need safeties who can cover and who have range and have good instincts. And Deontay Thompson's upside would be just amazing in that sense. I might rather they go with an interior defensive lineman like he had Ed Oliver dropping past the Broncos pick at 10. Yeah, I'd take Oliver over Baker. I'd take Devin White, who, if I'm not mistaken, he also had dropping past 10. Um, So that's just some thoughts, not to pick on McShay, who, you know, has his faults like every single one of us. Uh, But, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out since I felt like Kyler Murray and that new mock coming out were the biggest pieces of news uh, from the week. So yeah, that ends it for us for the BSM Broncos Draft Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as I kind of philosophized here. And um, I, I want to thank you all for your questions. Just the last two weeks alone, you've given me so much to think about, and uh, it really sparks some interesting discussions and draft debates and it allows us to take this podcast further you know because i don't quite know how draft educated our common listener is but clearly those of you who comment here 
are thinking about this stuff in an in-depth way and being able to answer your questions is just like such a pleasure. I cannot tell you. And I do, before we leave off, want you to know that we're excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. StravaCraft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible, so check them out. The CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive $20 off when you use code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. Don't forget about the our podcast contest right now. I I do work for all the different beats uh, with my stat stuff. I'm I have the rare distinction of having been on all the podcasts. But guys, this is my home. This is where I do a weekly podcast. This is where I do the film rooms, and and kill myself for giving you original stats and stuff like that, and our in depth grades and all that kind of stuff, and going to Mobile, going to Pro Days, going to live college football games, trying to give you scouting reports, all this stuff, uh, breaking down the coaches and everything. The Broncos are my home. Subscribe if you haven't already. Just use code BRONCOS. And uh, I'm not going to spell that out for you. I think you need to know how to spell out Broncos. Sorry, guys. Um, but do that. Help us win this contest. It'll mean the world to us. And I know you've never let us down before. I know you won't this time either. So with that, I leave you. Thank you so much for listening. Nothing but love from me. We will see you next Friday with another BSM Broncos Draft Podcast.